I am Joe Posnanski, and with me today, incredible selection of guests for the most meaningless show that we've ever done. I am joined by Brandon McCarthy. Brandon, welcome. Thanks, Joe. How are you? Uh, you know, we're, we're holding up. We're doing okay. And then you and I are joined by Alan Seppenwall. Alan, welcome. Thanks for having me, Joe. You're welcome, Alan. You are. You're really welcome. You know what? All bad blood must be put aside <laughs> in in times of world emergency all bad blood must be put aside Thank look you. i've been looking for an opportunity to stop being the heel of the podcast so Here's if it took a moment. pandemic that's fine well it, it's it's not that it took a pandemic it basically took the yankees to be not playing anymore like that's really <laughs> that's that's the only way that it could happen and you know they'll be back and and then you go right back into the dungeon. There's just no possibility oh, for it otherwise. So, so guys, um, first of all, you know, thanks for doing this. Uh, I, I know that neither one of you has anything else to do, so I'm sure that's the only reason that you're here. Um, uh, Joe, Joe t- TV is the one thing that has not shut down. Actually, so. That's true. That's true. You know what, Brad? You know what, Alan? Before we're done, we're going to get your your television recommendations for people as we as we go through all of this i will gladly do that for you but i think the thing that 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 is is you know look this this show is always meaningless and always pointless and this is never more true than when there's actually no sports going on uh but i guess i'll ask each of you we'll start with you brandon because i mean this is hugely important to you and this by the way brandon please take this as an opportunity to talk uh about liverpool um how are you dealing with all this? Not not even like the world stuff, which is obviously crucial and important, and way more important than anything else that uh, that is worth talking on the show. It, we we don't we don't deal with real stuff, but the the sports thing, the sports thing being gone, no sports anywhere, and particularly with Liverpool uh, being two games away from. Is it the first title in your sort of lifetime as a fan, or or, would, or did they win one when you were young? Yeah, it would be the first Premier League title since <clears throat> since I would have been a little kid, and that would that predates my fandom. So, so I've never experienced it. I've seen Champions League victories, but but never the full Premier League victory. So this was kind of the the crescendo we've been building all year towards, and and now it's being slowly stolen from us. Yeah, um, that's. I mean, it does creating stay. a little hole. Well, look, I don't even know what is. I don't even know what our guilt level on any of this is even allowed to be because obviously nothing involved in sports nothing about these cancellations can uh can can you know even touch what's the world you know tragedy and emergency and 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 so on and so forth but hey you're you're a lifelong you know pretty close to lifelong liverpool fan and and here's liverpool having you know maybe the greatest season in the history of the premier league i mean i think pretty pretty clearly the greatest season in the history of the premier league and then it it ends like this that's i mean you you are feeling pretty bad about it yeah, we're we're most of the way through a movie that we knew the ending was coming. This the gratifying ending is coming, and then the fire alarm went off, and everybody gets out, and you're like, "Okay, when do I get to get back in and see that?" Because I know what was going to happen, but I still would really like to have that that moment. Instead, you just all we're all just standing around milling in the lobby, and we've got nothing to do with ourselves. And then they say that the movie has been burned and it's never going to be played again. And that's it. Yeah. it. yeah, there's a chance the movie will never be shown again. <laughs> yeah, no, it it's it's. It's brutal. It really is. I mean, look, this is, this is, I think our lives are so 
um, driven by habit and so driven by, you know, the, the, the fact that we, I wouldn't say we endure long seasons cause we enjoy the seasons as they go, but we, we enjoy them more and more so that we can get to the finish line. So we can get to the ending and we can see who wins, which teams are going to, you know, win in the playoffs. And, and obviously, you know, with the NBA and NHL in particular, no, you know, there's no sense of when or if they'll start again. And, and, and it feels like the first few months are, are, you know, just gone. Obviously baseball opening day, something you look forward to all winter uh, is being postponed to who knows when. Uh, Alan, depressing. I mean, are, are we allowed to feel depressed about this? We can. I mean, life life has shut down. I was excited to see the Yankees play, even though all of them were injured. So, I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's a weird silver lining that they'll at least get to heal. But I would still rather to see baseball being played. And I, I guess the one good thing is I'm no longer forced to watch the Knicks. So I will take that. <laughs> That's, and, it, and by the way, I'm more than a silver lining that you don't get to watch the Knicks. I was talking to a baseball fan uh, yesterday who was telling me that, you know, was, was as we do with everything, every, every, every statement you make about sports or anything else that is not, uh, you know, directly related to the, to the virus and, and, and reactions and what our response should be. Everything has to come with that caveat of like, ah, this doesn't matter, but, but the person was basically saying this doesn't matter, but you know, the team that's going to be helped by this virus thing is going to be the Yankees. Like they, like they were beat up and they were hurt. <laughs> like, of course it is. I mean, like even, even in the middle of like human tragedy, like the Yankees somehow find a way to like come out ahead. It, it, it's, that's terrible. But what I would say is like, obviously the virus itself and the impact it's having on everyone is, is the most important thing, but we're all locked inside for a while and we need distractions. <laughs> and the fact that sports has had to go away at the same time because of these measures necessary to contain the thing, that stinks. Yeah. That's one less thing that we can escape to while we're inside wherever we happen to be dwelling. And it's been like pretty shocking. Like I, Brandon and I, we were exchanging notes. I think the first time was when uh they canceled the tennis tournament right in california and you yeah. and i were talking about like wow i mean like it, it's not that we didn't know it was serious but when you cancel basically the fifth biggest tennis tournament in the world i mean kind of the players championship um for tennis and and you cancel that just like boom and it was the first thing to go it was essentially the first big big sporting event that just got and they didn't say like we're postponing it or or we're we're gonna you know do it with no fans. They just were like gone, done. This is this is over. Um, that was a jolt, right? I mean, that was like I don't know. I mean, you, you talk about we can always talk about how little sports matters in these things, but for me, that really was like a wow. This is I knew it was serious, but it like took it to another level for me. Yeah, that that jumped quick. I, obviously, we had seen everything in Italy, like. Syria was shutting down, but Italian football is not on my radar. So I, I saw it and I was like, well, that's a pretend world. I think the way we're kind of as a society, just judging Italy right now, like, well, what's happening to them won't right. happen to us. So this just happened earlier in sports form, but then the tennis happened. It was like, that was quick. And then I, I do remember we were, we went to medieval times for my daughter's birthday. We walked outside right then um, the NBA shut down and it felt like this wave of like, oh, okay, nothing's the same anymore. Let's all, by the time we get home, we have to figure this out completely. What we're what we're going to watch or 
how we're going to distract ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the NBA was clearly the, well, I mean, it was the impetus for everybody. Like, like it really is interesting looking back at, at how things happened. Like, I don't know. I like, none of us know for sure how bad this is going to be, how long this is going to last. I think we all have a pretty big sense. It's going to be pretty bad and it's going to last a pretty long time, but, but none of us know for sure. And, and you look back now at the initial reaction and like, okay, let's, let's, you know what, here's how we're going to stop this thing. We're going to stop having reporters talk to the people in the clubhouse. Like this was like, that was the first response. And you make a response like that. You clearly are thinking, yeah, that'll be, that'll, that'll do it. Like, I I don't think, you know, maybe we'll, we'll adjust if we have to, but essentially we're just going to kind of just keep reporters away from, from the players and, and that'll be enough. And, 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 you know, and then of course no fans and, and they really were going to play a final, like a March madness with no fans in, in these, in these stadiums, like that was going to be a real thing. And, and it like took several days. And I think it was the NBA, uh, Alan, that like, that's when everybody was like, Oh, you know what? All of these things that we were thinking about before are just stupid. I mean, we've, this is, this is really, really, really bad. I was in LA last week, uh, on a business trip that in hindsight, I wish I had not gone on just because realizing what, what things have become since then. And I was out to dinner with some friends that night, which again, I wish I hadn't done. Uh, and we, we go and we go in and before we sit down, we start talking about how like the the jazz uh, thunder game had just been canceled right before yeah. tip off. And by the time we finished our meal, the entire NBA season had been suspended. And I believe that was around the time that Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson were diagnosed yes. in Australia. Same time, exactly the same time. So yeah. I think it's the one, two of those, because, you know, for the people who don't care about sports, they will still care about Tom Hanks. And I think those two together really drove home. No, you got to stop everything that you've been doing. This is much more serious than we have been led to believe. And, you know, buckle up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just, and it just happened. It, fe- it felt like it happened so fast. Not, not specifically all of these things canceling, but all of this collective thought about how bad this was. Like it, it crescendoed like immediately, like, like Brandon, you texted me that night uh, of, well, we actually texted a lot that night, but, but specifically after the Oklahoma city uh, Utah jazz game was like, it was, they hadn't even, postponed it yet they had just left the floor and you know the place was filled with fans and they were you know there was just a delay there was nobody even knew what was going on they were shooting like t-shirts into the crowd which in retrospect that doesn't seem like the best idea and and <laughs> and, and brandon said you know that there was a rumor that that um uh rudy uh, had been uh had been you know that he had tested positive for coronavirus and Brandon, you said right then, you said, if, if that's true, everything's done. Like, I mean, like you, you knew immediately, like as soon as, as soon as one player, that's it, they, they have no choice but to cancel basically everything. Yeah, you can't. And every other sport would follow suit immediately. Cause once you get that thought in your head of like, oh, this is a sports thing now. And you like pop that little veil of in, invincibility around players. They start asking questions. They worry about their family. It's just, it's game over. It's like a groundswell. You can't stop. So that was just had to know that that was going to be the, the last straw that, that yeah, had to fall. And it was quick. I mean, it was really, really quick. So basically now what? So now what are we supposed to do? Cause I mean, obviously we are not going to have sports, uh, you know, live sports, new live sports to watch on, on, on television and to talk about. And, but you know, 
for the next few weeks, however long this this goes on. Um, you know, life's got to go on, and and even if we're going to be at home, so so we're looking for tips. What are we going to do? How are we going to keep talking about sports, and how are we going to keep going? Well, you know, Joe, I've been reading this series. Well, don't, don't, uh, no. It had been published. <laughs> it had been published every day on a really good website called The Athletic. Yeah. Um, by a writer is Joe Pazinski, yeah, something say, like yeah. that. And every day he would write about the like one of the hundred greatest baseball players of all time. And this series is incredible. It is the best writing I think this guy has ever oh done. God. It's been really good. And even on days when I couldn't get to watch spring training, I felt like I felt connected to the world of baseball. It was this great gift. I would I would usually wake up before seven and I would just start reloading the web browser on my phone over and over, just waiting for it to materialize. Uh, and, you know, if we can't have games, maybe we could have more of those essays. Yeah, I knew you were going to just make me work. This is like the, you know, the, the Baseball 100 has been really, really interesting to me. And it's it's something that I think, you know, is 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 important. Like for us, I mean, as we're discussing, like seriously, where where we go from here. What's been fascinating to me is the other day, uh, you know, the Athletic Prince uh, publishes uh, what are the most popular stories of of the uh, of the day over at the thing, like everybody does, right? The most read stories, and I don't normally even look at those, but I did the other day um, just because I was going through it, and there were the five most popular stories. Three were obviously coronavirus stories. Um, you know, one about uh, the NHL's reaction to it and, and whether or not there's going to be a season. And one was about, you know, how the, how baseball is, uh, you know, how this was, I think it was Peter Gammon's piece on this being different from anything he had ever seen in baseball. And, and there was a third one. I, I can't remember what it was. And then there were two stories and, and it's going to sound like bragging, but I don't mean it this way. One was my story on Rogers Hornsby, you know, like the, like the, a guy that played, a hundred years ago. And, and, uh, and, and it was that. And the other was my story on Dwayne Kuyper, who is uh, just a, a player who uh, hit one home run in his big league career. and just happens to be my favorite player. And what struck me about that is of course, you know, you're flattered. That's great that people are reading it and you're thrilled, but I think that hunger is going to be enormous to read stuff that is not coronavirus and to, to just somehow be able to talk about that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not being sarcastic. I know, like, I don't want to pile more work on yes, you, you, Joe, do. but yes, you those things feel like a lifeline, seriously. They've been really good, and it's been so nice to be able to connect to the baseball of the past, or at this moment, baseball at all, because there isn't any. Yeah. I think we just need to cut through it. Like, Joe, I think you're solely responsible <laughs> for our entertainment. If you're a sports fan, it's either you podcast... Once in the morning, once after you've had a lunch, you've refueled, and then nighttime is for writing by candlelight, right. and then you publish that. So we wake up and we have a new <laughs> new day of content to dig through. I don't see any other options. I mean, all everything else is shut down. We can't film movies. We can't film TV shows. Nobody can throw that out. I think you need to. I think yeah, it's I on you. Step up. Yeah. No, I, I think that's right. I actually do wonder. I mean, I you know, look, there there are ways, and one of them is to talk about history in the past. But you know, we had this really fun sort of, um, uh, I guess it was just messaging back and forth, text message between Brandon and me and Mike. And we were just talking about baseball cards, right? The, the, the whole thing was just about baseball cards. It eventually got to one of Mike's uh, favorite 
baseball card ideas, which is the idea of the 1982 uh, inaction baseball cards. Do you remember these uh, there, uh, Alan? Do you remember the inaction baseball cards? They'd be, there was the regular card of the player, right? So you would have like a regular Mike Schmidt card where you would have a picture of Mike Schmidt and, 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 you know, his position and then on the back, all of his stats. But then you would also have a Mike Schmidt in action card, which was meant to sort of demonstrate, I guess that, you know, that this is, this is a bonus. Not only are you getting to see Mike Schmidt, you're getting to see him do what he does so well. The inaction card of Mike Schmidt is literally him just standing at third base, just literally doing <laughs> nothing. He's, I, I don't even think that it, like it might be like before the inning is even begun. I mean, he's just literally standing at third base. Um, but yet, yeah, you know, we love the inaction cards. And so we spent a long time talking about that. I wonder, uh, do we have like enough of that kind of stuff to like keep us sort of entertained and 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 laughing and thinking about sports uh to go forward because i think we do i think we probably do i mean the, the good thing, like i said mm-hmm. for me there's tv doesn't go away so there's still all this content but also like there's all this old content so a lot of things i've been recommending to people is older shows and i saw something cool over the weekend i think like the mlb twitter account or something recommended to people go watch we picked out like the best game for every franchise or something and you can go see it and so you know our, our pal linda holmes went and she watched the game from 1980 where the phillies won their first world series title and i feel like you're going to see a lot of that just people going back and looking at old games old clips things because you have to stay connected to it somehow. Yeah. yeah, I think that's right. But I also think that we can look forward to. Here's here's the thing that I that I think about. People love the NFL draft, right? There there is an argument to be made that the NFL draft is the second biggest like sporting event in in the country behind the Super Bowl. Not not in terms of excitement, but in terms of uh, the way fans respond to it, the way that uh, you know it's bigger in a lot of ways, like with socially, it's, it's the biggest thing on the internet is the NFL draft and the NFL draft is nothing, right? I mean, the NFL draft is just a bunch of teams taking players that you have no earthly idea how good they're going to be for months or years. Um, but you, but it fills you with so much like hope and, or anger, or, you know, you just this, this, these, these incredibly, you know, powerful feelings, uh, basically about what might happen in the future. And I do wonder if, you know, I mean, for us, Brandon, I mean, just looking forward to the baseball season, I mean, is there a kind of a cool way for us to do that where where it feels a little bit like the NFL draft? I guess you keep talking about it. The problem is just where this falls is that, like, we didn't get to see anything yeah. and we got two weeks of spring training, which tell us nothing other than every Yankee was going to get hurt <laughs> this year. That's that's I think that's almost quite literally the only thing we learned in those two weeks. So like we didn't learn anything new. We've all done our preseason stuff, which and so it's you're just right in that like level of purgatory where nothing would be new, nothing would be insightful. Like NBA, you could still play out the hypotheticals of the season never came back, and we could talk about who was going to win it or whatever. I wouldn't care, but other people could talk about that. But for that, like for baseball, it's like wait, what do we even talk about right now? So I, the only way you can go is go historically, I guess, and, and go into like small little details like baseball cards. And I, I mean, 
if depending on how many weeks this go, it's favorite stadiums, your favorite, you just, you're going to have to really dig deep. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. By the way, uh, our, our delightful co-producer Marissa just uh, forwarded me the fact that Rob Manfred is having a, a conference call advising all teams to shut down their facilities and several GMs are bracing for delay now as late as July. There you go. So uh, a nice, a nice bit of uh, happy news to great. Uh, but I look, I do think in all seriousness that um, we all kind of knew this wasn't going to be two weeks or four weeks or, you know, I mean, it's this, this is, uh, this is, you know, this, this isn't going away. No, your problem here is it's going to be like a pitcher getting an injury at this time of year is that they're, they're the backbone to all of this. So it, Whenever you come back, if you're out for six to eight weeks, you have to almost pretend that you're starting all the way over. You got to get guys back in, throwing bullpens, building up, and then building their innings. So you need another four week run in just to get going. And that's that's assuming that they have the the ability right now or during this downtime to to stay in shape and do the things that they need to do, and actually even keep this going like it's an off season. Otherwise, you get guys coming back in, and guys are going to start blowing out right away, and um, you've got to get like your workload built back up and. So that's really, the, I think, one of the hardest things you have to figure out is one, figuring out the coronavirus and, and what our timeline is for that. But then, like, how do you safely ramp back into a season for these guys? And that's where we're going to lose. Yeah. We'll lose an extra four weeks just because of that. And, and Brandon, I, I wonder, you would obviously know the answer to this much better than me. Does the What kind of home gym setup does the average major league player have? I don't think very many have, like, a home gym that's that's enough to sustain things. Uh, most everybody work out at facilities. A lot of cities just have baseball facilities or, or big workout facilities that people then kind of congregate at and, and they do grouped workouts. But um, I don't know how many of them are staying open or what, you know, people working out together. I don't know how everybody's going to be um, handling that and everybody's going to be individual. And the problem is a lot of people, you see this even with some players where they'll, they'll be in shape and then they go on a vacation for two weeks and they'll throw a little bit less and they come back and instantly once they come back and start throwing, something gets mm-hmm. hurt because they just, in that time you've shut down, your body isn't ready for the workload it's, it's about to be put under or the stress, and then it, you quickly get hurt again. That's the hard part is that everybody's going to be leaving. You can only keep so much touch in what they're actually doing every day, and then you got to get them back into your under your – under your roof and figure out, all right, now what are we looking at and start all the way over again? It's, it's, it's not an easy situation. No, not at all. But I do think it leads very easily to the Michael Shore dream, which was that everybody would go back to the way it was in like in the 1950s where they would spend all off season, like smoking and selling insurance and, <laughs> and just like coming in like 40 pounds over their playing weight and like, oh yeah, I'll play back into shape. You know, that it's a lot easier to do that when you're topping out at about 81 on your fastball, right? I mean, it's a lot easier to, to be doing that when you're, uh, you know, playing in wool uniforms and, and, uh, and, and, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, it's a much different game. You're bunting every other, you know, at bat or whatever. But we, we have to agree that when baseball returns, we turn off all radar guns, stat cast, yes. track man, nothing is allowed. We can't measure anything. We have to play this. <laughs> we have to play Puritan baseball for the next two and that's a half months. Awesome. And that way, if Garrett Cole wants to throw a 90 and he's like, that's really what I've got today, everybody's like, that's fine. That's, we'll all just get through this and we'll have this weird bunting, <laughs> bunting. Everybody has handlebar mustaches. This is. Okay, this is bringing baseball back. This is what I'm talking about. This is exactly the ideas that we're talking about. First of all, handlebar mustaches, definitely. We go back to the dead ball. Like, literally the dead ball. They use one ball the entire game. They're not even allowed to use, like, a like the ball, like, is unless it, unless it like, like, actually 
tears or breaks. Uh, you have to use the same baseball the entire game. Spitballs, totally legal. Bring them all back. Everything is back. Uh, and and yeah, and everybody's just like like choking up on the bat like nine inches or keeping their hands separated the way Ty Cobb did. Everybody's just bunting and just shooting through the... Catchers aren't allowed to crouch. Crouchers, <laughs> catchers have to be in that weird half crouch, and they have to put both their hands out in front of them, kind of like a comic dad in a sitcom getting ready to deliver a baby. Yes. That's how everybody has to play yes. that way. Then, then, yeah, it'll be nineteen oh, tens awesome. baseball just without the racism. <laughs> I think we can return to that. Nineteen dead baseball without the racism is such a good slogan. I don't even know how that has been missed in in uh, among uh, the Rob Manfred crew. Uh, I think it's ideal. I think it's ideal. I think it's the quickest way to get people back. It's like, like you're not in shape. Doesn't matter. We're not. We're not playing that kind of baseball. Like, we're just bringing it down a couple notches, and and uh, and it would be great. You know, it does make me think. As you, as you, you know, because we, you know, obviously, I've had to do this trying to to determine the, you know, the hundred greatest players ever and all that kind of thing. But I mean those guys really didn't work out in the off season at all. And they really did have jobs, some like actual manual labor working in factory jobs. And they would show up and they'd be there for like three weeks doing no weight training, certainly very little running, just kind of doing whatever. I mean, I don't even know. Like it seemed to me that from 19, I'd say Oh five to 1957 the number one like exercise baseball players would do during spring training was pepper like that seemed to be the only thing they ever did was four guys around one bunting to each of them and and yet they played so 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 what do we think like how hard do we really think those guys were throwing how how much bat speed do we really think those guys were were coming up with in those days do, do you remember when some of the best players in the world used to take off three years to go to war? That was, that was kind of a crazy point. And I like, like I'm sure they were doing a lot of calisthenics, but it was also war. So I don't know that they came back in peak and peak physical And they came back and like condition. crushed it like right away. Like Bob Feller was like, right. He, that's when he set the strikeout record was in 46 after being at war for five years, he came back and struck out 380 players, which tells you, that uh well first of all he threw 370 innings or whatever but that tells you that that's one of the more interesting elements of like the game then like mike trout is i think not only do 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 we think so i mean he's acknowledged as the best player in the game but i think the difference between mike trout and cody bellinger or mookie betts or or aaron judge or whoever you want to put you know up in his category is you know it's 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 not it's not insubstantial but it's not a huge thing but bob feller can literally come back from five years of war and like like set strikeout records and be like 10 times better than anybody else that tells you like the best in those days were like way better than everybody else yeah they were just the best yeah Yeah. they were just way better alan are you for this this plan that, that we've come up with I am entirely, as, as you guys have been talking about it, because one of the things that comes up a lot these days is the idea that, like, sabermetrics, as great as it is and as, as cool as it is to see teams playing the smart way, it also has led to this sort of homogenized three true outcomes 
version of the sport. And if you go back to like 19 teens baseball without the racism, <laughs> I think you're going to get much more of a variety in play. And at, at minimum, it's going to feel very different from the last few years of baseball. So, you know, anything to shake things up, I'm on board with. By the way, I, I should add that Bob Feller being the best pitcher in baseball in 1946 after five years of war, while a huge credit to him and his incredible talents, uh, that was baseball. That was racism baseball. So that was baseball with no African-Americans. Also, nobody from around the world at all, like zero people from around the world. So it was basically 17 guys from Alabama and, and you know, two guys from Florida. So it is a little bit different game. But I but I do I do think that that, you know, Brandon, you know what the pressure is at that at the highest level and how fine you have to be. I mean, you, we've had great fun conversations about what it's like to try to go through like a Red Sox lineup when those guys, everybody on that team pounded and the Yankees lineup now or the Astros lineup or even, or the Dodgers lineup for sure now and how one mistake basically could cost you the game. And it was different then. And, and I don't know that, that, I mean, I'm not saying that's better. I don't think it is better. I think the quality of baseball is way better now, but there is something to be said for, you know, I, I love the way old pitchers would talk about like, ah, I, I could throw 95 if I wanted, I might do it once a game, but I never felt like, you know, I only did that when I needed to, you know, and it sounds kind of BS ish, but it's probably true. It's those probably, probably were throwing at like 80% capacity. I would think, I mean, we watch Granky pitch now and you know, I mean, as of at least the last couple of years, he could pitch at 90 and then when he needed to, all of a sudden there was 95 yeah. and he could do it. Like, I think it was just a much more accepted way of pitching. Like, this is what you do. You like, if you're going to actual, and if it's expected of you to throw 300 innings and to throw every two days or whatever they were doing, like you probably, your body adjusting goes, okay, this is how we're going to have to do this to get through this. This can't be full intensity all the time. And you learn like what gear you should be pitching in the whole way. And if you have to go get an extra one every once in a while, which I think was, when you watch all sports from those times, it wasn't like people were just going balls to the no. wall and flying around. It was sort of like everybody, like let's speak calm here, don't, don't, don't go crazy. We'll figure this out. Nineteen eighties, the people who were really nineteen eighties basketball and hockey, but basketball in particular defense, awesome, just awesome. Like it, it did, it was it non-existent. It just didn't exist in the NBA, and and you just, uh, I mean, it was. Wonderful because I mean it was about offense and it was yeah you know, particularly in the seventies I guess but but into the eighties for sure until until Pat Riley came along and turned everybody into a into a thug uh, it was essentially um, the the only thug in 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 the NBA was Kurt Rambis like right like he was the only guy that would like actually hit anybody the rest everybody else is yeah that's fine you're you seem open that seems good to me so yeah so I think the game has changed all right around the horn I will ask each of you. You can pick one player in baseball today and one pitcher in baseball today and go back to 1915 and start playing. Who would you choose? Who would you choose? <laughs> this seems like a great question to ask in this time of emergency. One pitcher and one hitter going back to 1915 and they're not allowed to like, they don't get to train or do anything different. They've, they've just suddenly got to play 1950 styles baseball. So like they, but 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 have they been trained to this point? Like we're plucking them out of twenty yes, twenty yes. and sending, we're sending them, them back. back, and we're telling them that they've got to throw three hundred and fifty innings of their pitcher, or they've got to be able to like they're not going to be able to hit home runs because the ball is dead. Um, 
so we're 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 basically telling them that they are in 1915 and they have to be the best version of themselves and you want to create the person who is going to be the best player in baseball in 1915 who would you choose i might actually be a contrarian and i might send like giancarlo stanton just to see like if he can hit the dead ball out (laughs) a guy that big and strong and just like i'm gonna play my way and you try to get me out and see what happens and then he would also get injured well he would he would definitely get injured because they would spike him like within seconds of his you know showing (laughs) up um but but i like it so you're saying like giancarlo stanton you send him back he's the most powerful guy in the game now you send him back to hit 81 mile an hour you know fastballs like from the best guys and and see if he can get him out and see if he can become Babe Ruth before Babe Ruth does it. That's your that's your plan. Exactly. Right, who would, and who would be your pitcher? Oh God. Um, I I mean, could would we have to play under those rules? Could I send back an African American well, player course, or no, not? Of course. Yes. Yes. All yeah. Right. Gene okay. Carlos Stanton. They huh. probably wouldn't want him playing either. They just you know. Yes. Either, yes. You know, either they didn't like anybody who didn't have a handlebar mustache. So. Mm. I got. I got to think about that. Why don't, why don't you let Brandon do his everyday player? All right, Brandon. What, Brandon, who do you think? Who would be your everyday player? I, obviously, Trout. Any baseball question. That's the problem with Trout being in the game. Is he answers? He's the answer <laughs> to every question. In any, and because he does everything well, so he could run back in the day. He could do everything. Like, and that against eighty-one mile per hour <laughs> fastballs and God knows what else. It would just be. I think it would just be like little league rules. He would just hit it and just run until someone tagged him out every time and. Would end the season with like a 680 batting average, <laughs> 950, 950 on base. And I think that's a really, really great. I mean, obviously it's the right pick, but I think it's a really great point because that's what the way Ty Cobb played. Like everybody, you know, we celebrate or, or anti-celebrate whatever it is for however people feel about Ty Cobb. But what Ty Cobb did was exactly that. He just hit like ground balls and, and ran until somebody stopped him, which was almost never and and you figure Ty Cobb, you know, was not as as you know whatever he was, um, not as fast as Mike Trout, not as not as strong as Mike Trout, and not you know so so yeah, I mean, if 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 Cobb could hit four hundred, I do think that like Mike Trout would hit like six eighty. I I think that's legit. I I really think that's legit. That's a good one. That's a good pick. All right, now, Brandon, I'll ask you then. Who would be your pitcher? Who would you send back? I mean, it has to be Cole, doesn't it? I, I, I feel know. like I. I... God, I mean, like it's a lot of innings last year. Like, all right, so if you've got to get to 300, if he's throwing right. 240 something last year or whatever, he threw 250 with the postseason. Okay, well, you're not too far off no, that not now. Too far. That's and true. then if him dialing it back would still, I, I don't know, wars would be fought over his capability. So it'd be like, I don't, I don't know what witchcraft is happening here. And I think that that <laughs> he's. I was thinking like the one I would want to send back more than anybody would be like prime Randy Johnson. Oh yeah. Um, because I don't even know that that would make sense to anybody, but I think now Cole is probably the answer. So I, I picked the two, the best pitcher and the best hitter in the game. So I, how am I no, doing I think you do it. I think you're doing very well. Here? I do think it would be so fun to like go back and have these, you know, these people who like, you know, worked in factories during the off season um, showing up and, you know, they're, they're, you know, arrogant and cocky and feeling like they're, you know, can do anything. And then just to see one Garrett Cole pitch, like just to see like, like in that mind, in their mind, Walter Johnson is like, like, like he is unhittable. Like he is like a, like something from the future. And then to see Garrett Cole show up and be like, what, what is this? Who, who is this giant man? Like what is happening here? So 
I do think that'd be fun. All right, Alan, you don't get Garrett Cole, so who do you want now? All right. Um. Okay. No Garrett Cole. Uh. I'm gonna send Masahiro Tanaka back. Uh. Just because, again, I think they would just be utterly baffled a by a Japanese pitcher, but also just sort of the the arm angles, the delivery, the deception that goes on there, and he can still crank it up like maybe not Johnson fast, but way faster than anybody back then could deal with. And I just think they would, you know not know what the hell to do I like with that. I, I, I like that. I like the idea of them suddenly they're just being a Japanese pitcher there and them having absolutely no idea what to do with this information. See, my thought was that, uh, and the, the reason I even came up with it, uh, was that for pitchers, I would send back Zach Greinke because nobody would be able to tell the difference. Like he would be literally, he would just blend in (laughs) other, he would just, it would just be like, Oh yeah, that guy's like, they wouldn't even know that somebody had been sent from the future. They would assume that he had already been on the New York Highlanders or whatever. And, and he would just come in and he would just be baffling people. He would totally be the guy who would get the spitball better than anybody. Like I, I just, I think that he would be like hilarious and like perfect for that time. Uh, I don't think he would blow anybody's minds. Uh, but but I think he would be perfect for that time. Yeah, I like that one. Right? It also fit the like, hey, we don't work out. And he's like, that's fine. Like, <laughs> Do you guys have a little bit of food I could just sort of walk around with? And if you guys stay out of my way, and they're like, that's really all we do. And like, great. I think basically the entire time until while we're waiting for, for things to settle and for the baseball season to start again, we should just tell Zach Granke stories to each other just <laughs> to make our, make ourselves happy and make ourselves feel, feel good. Brandon, you were Zach's teammate. Obviously I wrote about Zach, uh, have written about Zach for, you know, wow. Almost, I guess 2003 is when he came up. And I was, I think the first time I interviewed, it was almost 20 years now that I've, that I've been writing about Zach. But you played with him, and and the thing that I find so amazing about that, and you're like friends with him, um, he's like like the more you know about him, the more Zach Greinke ish he is. Yeah, it doesn't like it's not. Yeah, the, the facade doesn't come <laughs> off, and you're like, oh, here it is. Like it's just learning, like that, the, like the layers get better, and that it's it's just sort of is what he is. And I, I he's one of my my favorite people in the game, and one of, now one of my closest friends in the game. That that remains like he. He's just, he really is uniquely one of a kind and, and very, very precocious. It's like having an adult five-year-old friend who like, um, I don't even know, like, it sounds like an insult, but just the way like a five-year-old sees the world and you're like, God, that is so obvious. Why did I think of that? It's just this 36-year-old who's telling you that. And you're like, oh, that makes, that makes way more sense in a way. And he's like, yeah, I know. And so you're. He's, he's really an interesting When person. I wrote the cover story for him on Sports Illust- at Sports Illustrated, uh, I think that's still the only time he's been on the cover. But when I wrote the cover story back in 2009, I guess during his incredible year, first uh, incredible year with the Royals, um, he they asked him what he thought about it. I wasn't actually there when, he, when they asked him, but they asked him what he thought about it. And he said, um, well, that'll be the lowest selling Uh, sports illustrated ever right like that was like that's immediately what he said but because it's zach like that's not where it ends like like for a normal person like that's that's the joke right that'll be the lowest um selling sports illustrated ever and and you would think it ends but because it's zach it was the exact quote was something to the effect not the exact quote but something to the effect of that'll be the lowest uh selling sports illustrated ever dot 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 except nascar like he had to like 
put in. <laughs> like, like, that, that's, I mean, the, that mind just, he, it, it's, it's, there's nothing. No one like him. But it's, it, and that's not being self-deprecating. It's exactly <laughs> how he sees it as in like, why would anybody interested? Like, I'm not that interesting. Nobody's going to want to buy this, but the only thing someone else doesn't want to buy is NASCAR. Like, and it's, it's this completely logical train of thought that you can't be like, no, 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 you're wrong. He's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm right. Because that's how things are. It's exactly it's, right. It's great. Cause there's, there's no games. There's no, there's no lying. There's no, it's just unvarnished honesty that says the meanest things you've ever heard in your life. And you're like, God, I can't even argue with that. It's, 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 right. it's so straightforward. I went and talked to him. Uh, I guess this has been two or three years ago now at spring training. And it was one of those, uh, I, I got, Oh, I was, I think you might've been there. I think I might've been talking to you, Brandon. Um, it was a spring training game. And I think I was talking to you and we just kind of, uh, started just talking and I missed Zach's, whatever it was, his little press deal or whatever. So I went over, uh, to the, um, uh, PR person and said, Hey, I would love to talk to Zach. I know he did his PR thing. I just want a couple of minutes with him. And, and so the guy went over to Zach and Zach said, yeah, sure. And so I went over and the first thing I said to Zach, you know, who I had not seen in, in a, a year or two, I said, Hey, Zach, how are you doing? And he said, is that really what you want to ask me? Like, like, the, like that was like, it, it didn't even occur to him like to have sort of social connection, right? Like that's, that was not even that that's, it, it, it's all pure unvarnished honesty. Yeah, it's, it's, it's exactly what we want from people until you get it. And you're like, oh my God, if we got this at a large dose, <laughs> we would all, we'd kill each so other. That's a great day. thing is there's one Zach Greinke is awesome. Like a, a team of Zach Greinke's would, that's, that would not work for anybody. Would be, it'd be horrible. Yeah, it'd be. Yeah, it would not yeah. be good. You know, Joe, I just had a thought. Yes. Daily Zach Greinke stories for the athletic. <laughs> just throw that on top of the, of the thing. Just another, a, a daily. Yes. A daily Zach we need lots of content from you, Joe. There's no baseball. What are we going to well, do? You know, by the way, since I have you guys here, um, I have added, ugh, why am I even saying this? I've added a second series that I'm doing with the Baseball 100. I am doing uh, favorite baseball players uh, to go along with the Baseball 100. So, uh, for instance, today was uh, number 13 uh, of the Baseball 100. We're recording this on Monday. And uh, number 13 was Roger Clemens. And tomorrow will be uh, a new installment of favorite baseball players, which I think, by the way, will be a big one. I think people will will love tomorrow's. And then uh, Wednesday will be number 12, and Thursday will be favorite baseball players and, and so on. So while I have you here, um, who are your favorite baseball who, – who would you pick as your one favorite baseball player with the caveat that – it cannot be a player so great that he was already in the baseball 100 because I know Brandon's all-time favorite player was Frank Thomas, uh, who is in the baseball 100. So uh, with that caveat aside, uh, who, who are your favorite baseball players? All right. Well, you Rivera's already on the list, so Rivera's it can't be him. List. No, it cannot. Uh, and, and he was my, he's my favorite Yankee, even though he you know came to the team after I was already an adult. Of the guys, it's interesting that he is your favorite Yankee, not somebody you grew up with. That's very interesting. Well, because the, I grew up mostly when the team was not good, or at least was kind of mediocre and frustrating. And I liked Ricky a lot, but Ricky wasn't there for very long. Right. Um, Mattingly was great, but broke almost immediately. Yeah. Uh, and Dave Dave Winfield 
might be it, I guess, because he was kind of the guy I pulled for, because as we've talked about before, I have sort of an affinity for fellow tall people. But, you know, Winfield was like feuding with Steinbrenner the whole time and he had the Mr. May nickname. And other than that first year, they didn't go to the playoffs when he was there. So I, I guess I guess it's Winfield. Well, Winfield is an excellent choice, first of all. And second of all, everything that you just said is like a perfect Yankee thing. Like like to have a favorite player, they have to like they have to go to the playoffs and they have to win. I mean, my favorite player. All of my favorite players did none of those things. I've never had a favorite player that did a single thing good. Not, I mean, in any sport, I've never had a favorite player that won anything. I mean, so the fact that you're like, oh my gosh, you know, Dave Wind, all I have are Hall of Famers to choose from that didn't win. I mean, like, this, this doesn't... <laughs> I'm not endearing no, myself to no, you right now, Joe. You know what? Back in the dungeon. I don't care. No sports or not. Just no, no. Okay. Um, I brought this on myself. I'm so sorry. Brandon, who, who are you going to pick as your favorite player? Because I'm writing about these guys. I'll, I'm going to give you a Dave Winfield uh, there, Alan. Mine's mine's Roy Halladay. Ooh, good one. But that's yeah. but that's kind of personal, though, isn't it? Or or was that from growing up? No, not growing up. I mean, that we overlapped a, a decent amount. But that's just – I mean, I, there's probably more from childhood. I was – so uniquely Frank Thomas obsessed that I barely noticed other players or had time to, <laughs> what, what, to appreciate that. What did them. that look like? I mean, what did, what that look like is like being like, were you not a fan of teams? It was all Frank Thomas all the time. I was a fan of the White Sox because of, uh, because of Frank. So I got very into the White Sox, but it was like, as they went, it was like, as he went, they went, I, I felt like, so it wasn't really, I don't know. It was very, very weird. I just became like singularly obsessed or like, that's the guy. I, I don't know why he was just the focal point for me. But, I mean, growing up before that, it was Oral Hershiser because he was the Dodgers in 88. I was still five and living in Los Angeles at the time. And um, so that made a big, awesome. big impact. But beyond, I think, once Frank came in the league, it, that that changed quite a bit. And um, so it wasn't – I didn't really have like a baseball hero until Roy came in. And then he set my career down a different path just, just watching him and appreciating him. So he became this like – this North star for me. And then I really, even looking back after he retired and, and looking back at his career, realizing like how unbelievably wonderful it was like, and how much respect people had for it. I, I just kind of became more and more of a fan of that was the guy to be a fan of. And so I, it probably doesn't count in the same regard, but well, it, it counts. It still feels Look, like it's, it does. It's a life changing player. That would, that definitely count. By the way, the real quick, uh, I think I told, might've texted you this, but in case you missed it, um, there's, there's a great, Pedro Martinez oral Hershiser story that I had never heard before, which was that when Pedro was a rookie uh, with the Dodgers, he expected to make the team. He had a great spring and, and had basically been told that he had made the team. And, and then he didn't, they, they, they sent him back to the, to the minors and he was furious. He was like totally outraged. Of course they traded him like two months later and, and probably the move that, that has kept the Dodgers from winning a world series for 30 years. But, um, but he was furious and he like, they basically, I don't even think basically, I think maybe physically pulled him off the bus and, and said, yeah, you're, you're, you're going to minor league camp. And he was so hurt and furious and he was outside and he was like near tears. And suddenly like he feels a pat on the back and it's Oral Hershiser and Oral Hershiser gives him a baseball and 
like goes back on the bus, doesn't even say anything. He gives him a baseball and her size and, uh, and Pedro looks at the baseball and it basically says, uh, you're the greatest. You'll be back, Oral Hershiser, or something like that. Like something incredibly, Aww. yeah. And I just thought, look, I like Oral Hershiser anyway, but that made me like him even more. That's that is a very very cool thing to do. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's a heartwarming story. That's a that's nice, nice. That's a nice story. So, um, but I was going to say, so for with Roy Halliday, was was it in high school that you that you really first became aware of him as a as a as a, or was it or was it once you went to college? No, he's only, he's not that much older than I am. Um, and weirdly, even being in Colorado at the time and him being in Pro Bowl, even when he got to the big leagues, um, I wasn't aware that he was even a Colorado okay. kid. I guess it didn't really, it didn't register. It, it really wasn't until he became Roy Halladay that it really crept up. And then it wasn't until la- a little bit later in my career after my first like three or four years, maybe in the big leagues that I realized like, how much unvarnished respect there was for him. And then it was like, Oh, that that's the guy. That's how you should do things. And then it became sort of this point for me of like, follow this guy obsessively. And I've always done well at like kind of aping people and uh, not personalities necessarily, but just how they like how people work. And I, I was kind of in a weird spot when I came up in my first few years, I didn't really have um, veterans who were really hands on. And like, this is how you should do things. This is, I was just kind of free to go and, and so I found myself for a while just sort of kind of wandering around like, all right, what do I do? And then there was this guy on this other team that was such a shining light of like the gold standard. And it's like, okay, I'm going to do what he's doing. And so that, that's really when I became fully aware of Roy. That's really cool. And there's something really fun about, about oral, about, uh, about Roy Halladay that is something I think about actually in all walks of life, like including in, in, you know, entertainment, I like I always was fascinated by the fact that every comedian of the 70s and 80s really just about every comedian um like put pointed their origins to like to Jonathan Winters. Like something there's something about Jonathan Winters that influenced them in in like a completely different way and there are bands like that as well. And I like I never thought Jonathan Winters was really all that great. Like there was nothing about Jonathan Winters that that moved me but but it was so clear the influence he had on so many other people that i gained a huge amount of respect there, there was something that if you're really good at something you you recognize a talent in him that is that is unique and that seems to be the roy halliday story because like charlie morton didn't charlie morton do exactly what you did where he essentially decided he was going to well, i mean he did it to a, a a whole other extreme where he went frame for frame tried to copy uh, Roy Halladay's uh, pitching motion, right? I mean, like he was literally yeah. wanted to be like a, an exact replica of Roy Halladay. Well, yeah, that was the weirdest. Uh, Charlie and I played together in winter ball that year. Um, we lived next door to each other in a resort in the Dominican. We were playing uh, playing winter ball. And he wasn't really going through the change that time. And that's when I was really trying to like finalize that change and do it. And then three months later, I see him in spring training throwing that way. He wasn't really throwing that way. Um, he was still kind of pitching like the old Charlie and then trying to sink it some. And then all of a sudden I saw, I was like, well, how did he in three months just beat me to the punch <laughs> this year? Like his stuff got way better. He actually had completely mimicked his delivery. Like everything was coming out the same. It was this like shocking turnaround that um, it was sort of funny. We were both doing the same thing at the same time. And I don't think we really knew it, even though we played catch together every day and 
and we're together constantly. That's so cool. I've been, I've been, that tells you, I mean, like the people just wanted, uh, had so much respect for Roy Halladay. Because you could make the argument that at the time, Halliday was certainly one of the two or three or four best pitchers in the game, but he wasn't necessarily the best. Like he wasn't necessarily number one. I mean, there was Santana, there were, there were others that were, you know, in, in the, in the, uh, Cy Young conversation every year. Uh, but yet there was something about him that drew people. All right, we're going to do our draft, but before we do that, Alan, um, we are now relying on you. So give us like three shows for us to, to, to binge watch and enjoy, uh, while we're going through all of this. Okay, so the first of those is Brockmeyer, oh. um, which is a show about baseball. Uh, it's one of the funniest shows of the last few years. Hank Azaria plays a disgraced uh, baseball announcer who has an on-air meltdown after finding out that his wife has been cheating on him. He goes away for a while, stages a comeback that takes place over the run of this series. It is the raunchiest thing on television. It is among the funniest things on television. It is also among the sort of most pointed things on television, which you would not necessarily expect all the time, but it's a, a really just amazing show. The first three seasons are on Hulu right now. Uh, every episode is only about 20 minutes. There's about eight episodes per season. So it's not even like a big lift in terms of it won't seem too intimidating. And the final season debuts later this week on AFC. And the final season takes place in the year 2030, where Brock Meyer somehow becomes the commissioner of baseball and is tasked with trying to save it uh, as sort of fans are losing interest and the world is falling apart, uh, which feels oddly comforting in this time of chaos, because at least it tells us that there will still be baseball in 10 years. I love it. And by the way, I want to just tell you two uh, quick points on this. One is... Uh, the reason that you were on this uh, show uh, today is, of course, be- through your own kindness, but also the fact that Hank Azaria bumped late. So uh, we we would have had Hank Azaria <laughs> on here uh, to talk about Brock Meyer. So I'm so glad that you did. And and also uh, that the creator of that show, Joel Ch- Church Cooper, is um, one of the more uh, interesting uh Thinkers about baseball. Uh, you know, I, I've spent some time talking with Joel about baseball and and sort of what he thinks are the the issues of the game. And, you know, I think he's he's sort of gone through a, a love-hate relationship with baseball that, that definitely comes through in that show that I think baseball fans um, will, will really get a huge kick out of. So excellent first pick. All right. Uh, for the second pick, I'm actually going to go with an old one because one of the nice things, as I said right now, is like every show ever made practically is available to stream right now. And even before this had happened with the quarantine, my teenage daughter and I had started watching Cheers and we're already all the way up to season six. We just watched the first Bar Wars episode with Gary's Old Town Tavern the other day. And that is a show that holds up, man. It's really funny. I mean, some of the gender politics are not <laughs> great and we talk about that, certainly. But in terms of comedy, in terms of just the relationship the psychology that is just a fabulous show really good and will also give you something of a baseball connection because in case you don't know ted danson is playing a former red sox relief pitcher whose nickname was mayday that's an excellent but brandon have you have you watched cheers have you spent a lot of time with cheers i started beginning of like last year i decided to sit down and and watch it because i all i remember is it being like a show my parents watched when i was a kid one of those where you're like aware of but but not familiar with and so I was like, I'm going to watch this and see see how much this holds up. And I, I think I got up through about halfway to three quarters through season one and then just sort of lost steam and kind of went back to more like familiar ground. And I 
I enjoyed it fine, but it wasn't one of those where it was like, oh, I get it instantly. It was just kind of like, oh, I'd watch this if it was on, but I, I'm not going to grind through all the years. Well, of there's it, something interesting about that. And that is, uh, for Alan, you can discuss this. There's no, there's no narrative thread to Cheers. Not really. I mean... Well, no, there is. In the beginning, there's Sam right. and Diane, this sort of oh, will they, won't right. they, and they get together, they break up, they get together, they break up. So they, in that way, it was more serialized than a lot of shows are now, but definitely it's much more episodic yeah. than shows made today. And I, I kind of like that. I think, frankly, one of the bigger problems with TV now is that everything has to be serialized right. and it's often done to a fault and people don't know how to just make a good episode. And I sound like the <laughs> oldest man in the world saying this. It's like, bring back the sacrifice bunt. That's who I am right well, now. But there is something uh, to but, that. There is something to, like, like, you know, I mean, and I'm all for serialized narrative shows that, that take you from one to the other because that's what when you're binge watching, that's what really gets you to pick up the next show, right? That's the one that that's that keeps you going. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's also like I, I want to show that if I just want to go to season four, episode eleven, just like The Simpsons, right? You just want to just want to yep. see a 25 minute show that's going to make you laugh. Uh, we are we don't have that many of those anymore. Yeah, and Frasier is my daughter's favorite character, I've, I've discovered. And so at a certain point, I realized we're not going to watch every episode. So sometimes I'll look at the episode list and said, oh, this is a Frasier. Let's jump ahead Excellent. to that one. And I don't I don't know what we'll do when we actually get to the Frasier spinoff, because I don't <laughs> think we're going to watch every episode of that. But we'll do we'll come up with a different method at that point. All right. What's your third uh, choice for us? Uh, my third choice is one. It it's. It, it's one of my favorite shows of the last 10 years. It's called Terriers. It was a private eye detective buddy show that aired for 13 episodes in 2010 on FX. Nobody watched it, I think, in part because people heard the name and thought it was a show about dog fighting or yeah. something. And it was just very bad title. Great show. Wasn't available anywhere for a really long time. And so I would go on and on about the show and people would say, eh, well, where can I see it? And I'd say, well, you have to buy the individual episodes and they would tune out of the conversation from there. But it recently just got added to Hulu because uh, FX, all their shows are there now pretty much. Uh, it's wonderful. As someone said on Twitter the other day after I'd recommended it to them, they started watching and the chemistry between the two main characters is so strong that they felt like they had been watching the show for 18 years already. Wow. So wow. it's a lot of fun. It tells a really, it tells a good self-contained mystery within over the course of the season, even as there are standalone episodes and things. So you'll get a very satisfying experience and it's only 13 hours. So it's kind of the best of both worlds there. I have literally never heard of that show. Never even. And, and that's the problem. I follow you on Twitter. And I still never heard of that show. So that, that I obviously missed this. And that's that, the same. There's too many shows. There's too many tweets. There's too many everything. We're, we've all lost everything. It's just. <laughs> If it's not as shining bright lights, we're just like. <laughs> One of the running gags in the final season of Brockmire, because again, it's set in the future is Jim mm. is doing pharmaceutical ads. And one of them is for a pill that treats content fatigue <laughs> for senior citizens who can't deal with all the streams out there. I think that's, I'm ready for that right now. I'm ready for that thing right now. Terriers is a terrible name. Terrible. Name. Uh oh, I do not disagree yeah. at all. Bad yeah. name, great show. That's what I'm saying. I'm, now I'll watch it, but only because you've recommended it. 
if you go to rollingstone.com, uh, I have like a whole quarantine binge guide of like, if you're in the mood for this, watch this. If you like this, watch this. And I'm sure I'm going to be doing a lot more of this in addition to reviewing all the new stuff. I would that's imagine coming you're going to be doing that for a little while. All right. I'm going to cool. throw out one uh, just because it's one that you recommended to me. And I'm sure it's been like over binge watched already. So I'm not giving anybody anything new, but we are in the middle of, of binge watching justified. We're in season four now. And uh, it is, it is so great um, on so many levels, but my favorite level is that it it now has led to my wife and I talking to each other in justified language all the time, <laughs> constantly. <laughs> we'll, I will constantly say something to the effect of, I believe I am ready to go to sleep now. However, I do believe that so what is yeah. sleep in the larger terms? You know, I mean, it's just everything about that show is, is, is uh, fun and, and, and hard and dark and, and all of these other, uh, things. And he's so great in it. It's just, it's wonderful. You, you were, you, you were three for three with me because you've recommended, not that, not that this is hard since I don't watch that much television, but you recommended Mad Men, you recommended The Wire and you recommended, uh, well, actually four, cause you also recommended Breaking Bad and you recommended, um, Justified and, and I've loved all four shows. So, um, so that's very good. Brandon, are you binge watching something? Yeah, the Great Interior Design Challenge. Excellent. Yeah. Is that a binge uh, watch? Aren't you watching that live? No, it's uh, a BBC show that's on oh. Netflix that um, like, we're, like, we're in, there's two seasons available on there. So we finished the first season. Now we're doing the second season. Is it like the, the Great Baking once. Show, which is so awesome? I don't I haven't watched that. I I think it's similar. I think I, I from what I've read, they put a bunch of shows out sort of in a similar vein. But this just in their each their own little niche but it's um it's nice and it's quaint and it's good and it's it's um low impact viewing we don't our problem is that not only like everybody's behind in like catching up on content but when you don't start you're way behind every, so we haven't watched any of the shows that people are even like that's it <laughs> nothing i mean you've seen though you've watched some of the classics right you've seen like the wire or mad man or breaking bad or so we haven't watched The Wire, um, no Breaking Bad, no uh, no Sopranos, but we have. I loved Mad Men, so I did. I did watch all of that. But Breaking Bad, we stopped somewhere in the middle of season two or season three. Somewhere, it, from what everybody said, we stopped the episode before everything goes nuts and it gets really, really good. And I don't watch things. I can't watch things week to week, so we watched it after the fact. And I said, "Listen, in real time, this would have been two and a half years of my life that I've been sitting through this for it to get good." I, I couldn't, so it was just one of those weird shows that didn't click for me. And I can't watch things for, um, how well something's made or just like the beauty of it. I I have to, it has to like resonate with me or it just doesn't get there. And I don't think I'm unique in that, but I know that it, it makes it very tough for me to like latch onto a show. And so all these brilliant shows that everybody recommends, like, I haven't seen it. I don't know that I'll ever get to it. It, I just accept that I'm going to miss out. Breaking Bad, you know, loved it and and thought the world of it. And, of course, uh, uh, if you want to read more about it, I think uh, that Alan might have some suggestions for you. But, um, man, it's dark. (laughs) I mean, it's dark. It took me as a – to binge watch that show, I think, takes you to really, really, really dark places um, where – you know, where like you would, like I, at least for me, I would feel like hopeless about the world after watching like a bunch of shows. You know, I mean, I it didn't it didn't take me to good places at all, and 
And so I wouldn't watch it again. I really wouldn't. I mean, yeah, that's, that's where I get stuck. I get stuck in this level of like, okay, why am I watching? This isn't escapism. This isn't, and I'm, I'm loath to ever give Mike a comment, especially on this podcast, but like the shows that he writes, I just end up watching over and over and over again because they're just some sort of like safe port in the harbor where like, all right, I can sit down. I can put on any episode of The Office, any episode of Parks and Rec and get there. And it's just like, they're funny. They're, they're well done. They're well written. And then it's just this nice, easy yeah. viewing for me where you're like, okay, everything else that happened during the day can go away. I can just watch this and not also worry about like, hey, by the way, there's meth dealers <laughs> that exist all around you and you might get killed. Like that, that becomes a little too much. That is the negative aspect of Justified. Man, there are a lot of killers around Harlan, Kentucky. I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of murder and mayhem and drugs and, and bad, bad, bad people all around. Harlan, Kentucky is like scarier to me than, um, like, uh, Metropolis or, or, uh, or like it's (laughs) like, it's, it feels like Gotham. Gotham. Yeah. Like scarier to me than Gotham City. It really is. I love that show so much. <laughs> it is great. It because it's funny. The the thing that Justified has to me that that Breaking Bad did not. I mean, Breaking Bad had its moments, I suppose, but Justified is funny every week. Like every week, there's some funny. Like the relationships are funny, and the yes. lines are very funny, and and the language is very funny. Uh, even if the the subject gets pretty dark, so it feels to me it's a better binge watch for me than than Breaking Bad was. All right. We've talked enough television, so now it's time for our draft, and we are drafting baseball movie characters. That is it. That is the only uh, that is the only description that that any of us have been given or uh, came up with. And uh, Alan, since you are uh, sort of the the, the uh, generation of this idea, you get the first pick. Oh, okay, good, good. All right, I was. I was wondering what I would do uh, if I had the first pick, and I think I have to take Crash Davis from Bull Durham. He's sort of the Mike Trout of this draft. <laughs> like he's he's got an unassailable resume. That's maybe the great baseball movie. He's a great character. Kevin Costner, unlike Tim Robbins in that movie, is Nukalouche, actually looks like he can play baseball. He's got a pretty good swing. He's got all these good lines. Maybe the Leo Harvey Oswald speech isn't that great, but the rest of it is just delightful um i yeah crash davis has to be it for me right yeah i don't think there's another number one i really don't i i think that's an excellent pick i think uh i think crash davis is is uh he's just about the perfect baseball movie character i mean he really he really is i i think he's he's uh he's you know he's he's smart the only problem i have i think i've mentioned on this podcast before is i find it very very hard to believe that a smart, good defensive switch hitting catcher with power couldn't make it to the major leagues. That just, that just doesn't feel real to me. I think that's fair. And especially in the eighties, when you weren't getting as many sort of power hitting yeah. catchers, he would, he would have gotten a shot with somebody I mean, for longer yeah. than you could. I mean, the, I mean, the guy, like he was a catcher who set the minor league home run record. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. There's some club. I mean, the, you know, Cleveland was playing back then. I mean, some club was going to give him, I mean, Cleveland was playing Andy Allenson every year. Andy Allenson hit one home run like in his career. So, I mean, somewhere along the way, uh, somebody's going to give him a shot, I would think. But Brandon, you a, you a fan? Yes. I mean, you can't not be, but I, that's actually, I never had never thought about it from the way you put it. I've just accepted that there's a lot of good players who don't make right. it to the big leagues. Yeah. I guess that's the one thing is they never really, 
like said in that movie what's stopping him or like it would have been a nice like moment of exposition something like like him swearing about hitting a slider or something <laughs> right. where you're like oh okay that's <laughs> right. why he's not very but yeah i've never ever thought of it from that perspective like why wasn't he oh. all right well brandon you have the second pick in the uh in the draft uh i'm gonna go with billy chapel and we're obviously we're just gonna draft Kevin Costner in about five iterations here. So this is just a Kevin Costner draft. Um, I, like it, it for love of the game is actually my favorite baseball movie. Um, and I don't think that's a popular pick, but I, there's just so much I can relate to with his character. Obviously, as I wound down my hall of fame career and was in the middle of throwing a perfect game, like the parallels were just too much to overcome, but something, just the way they portrayed him pitching in a game and like <clears throat> the random thoughts that are there, the fact that you're like, your focus when you need to be, and then it'll just pop in and out. And then you actually have to like get it back together. And um, maybe it doesn't always intertwine with a weird love story that doesn't really fit, but it, there was just something that it was, it felt very much like I recognize it as, as a real thing pitching, which isn't a, a common thing that happens in, in sport movies. So like his character as ridiculous as it was felt real to me. So I, I he's become my favorite. Well, that's super interesting because, uh, I was not a fan of 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 the the movie, um, and he didn't feel real to me. So that's interesting to me that you, as a pitcher, felt like he captured uh, the scene, like he captured what it was like to be this old uh, pitcher, you know, sort of having their last moment. That's like Alan. Did you like for the love of the game? I have not never seen it in its entirety. I've watched parts of it on cable because I'd always been warned that the love story is not very good. And so when I put it on, I'll watch a couple minutes of the baseball. And I remember liking John C. Riley as the catcher, but I don't feel like I've seen enough of it to to have a judgment on Costner or not. In that well, I mean, I don't think it's a bad choice at all. I just, you know, and and of course, any any movie with Kelly Preston, you know, thumbs up. But um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just I I I I call that a I call that a surprise first pick. That's all I'm saying. All right, with my uh first pick, you know, I'm I'm going to go I'm going to try to go really obscure, well not obscure, but like goofy from here on in, but I think that since since we're all sort of choosing the big protagonist, I'll just go ahead and choose Roy Hobbs. Um The Natural has a lot of problems. I think we all can can agree on that. Uh but you know, that's, that's sort of the ultimate, uh, you know, baseball legend uh, is is this idea of, of Roy Hobbs um, showing up out of nowhere and and, uh, you know, with a with a dark past. And and, uh, you know, I've always, actually always wanted to see I've always wanted like that movie to me screams for a prequel. Like I'm dying to know what Roy Hobbs was doing between the time that he got shot and the time that he showed up to for the New York Knights, like that whole like that those because it that was what like 12, 14 years or something like where he was just like I like that movie would be that's that's like the new creed like I would love to see that movie like what what happened to him during that time, um, but it's still awesome and fun and goofy and you know having a guy you know die by running into a a wall and, 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 you know, having the lightning bolt on the bat and all of these other kind of goofy fairy tale type things. And then I think, uh, that was, uh, that's Robert Redford. Robert Redford fills the, fills the character pretty well. So 
with my first pick, I will choose Roy Hobbs. Uh, Roy Hobbs so magical that like he can win a game on the road <laughs> with a home run so mighty that like the fans all go That's... home even though the bottom of the ninth still is to be played. Well, he well he destroyed the clock. I mean, let's let the game's over. Like he he hit a home run off of the clock and smashed it. I mean, come on. Is is that a rule it, back then? You know what? They did say that if you break the clock, then that's it. It's a game without a clock and 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 then it's over. Actually, I've I've written that as you well know. I've written that uh, more than once and then I've had people uh tell me that no, it looks like the game's over, but it's not. Like like the it, the way they filmed it, uh it just looks like the game over, but it isn't. Uh, I don't buy that, by the way, but I'm just letting you know there is a second side to this. Brandon, you a fan of The Natural? Yeah, I am a fan. Like I, every time I see it on, I'll end up watching it. I don't, it doesn't like blow me away as a movie, but I do enjoy it. And I like the, I haven't read the book actually. And that's sort of, that's been one of my things on a list for years, but I, knowing the way the book ends differently than the movie feels, I don't know if I'm just too conditioned to like American movies where I need the positive, (laughs) happy ending. I, there's probably something psychological to that, but I, um, I don't know. I don't know why I actually haven't sat down and read it. I, I really it's, don't have a good answer to that, but I it's do a like great book and it's short, but you, the ending is, I'm sorry. It's jarringly bad. Like the ending of, of, I mean, and I know that people who read the book first, uh, then saw the movie and thought the movie ending was jarringly bad, but I mean, I'm sorry. You can't make that movie and then have the guy, well, I, I don't know if I want to ruin it for you, but, uh, not only does he, uh, you know, not do hit the game winning home run as he does at the end of the movie, but, you know, basically ends his life in disgrace. That doesn't feel to me like that's like the natural would have played well in, in that role. I, I don't think that's the movie any of us wanted to see. So is there a, is there something after I, I know he strikes out, but is that. What the hell was the point of following his journey then? If that's the end, maybe that, oh, no, again, you, that could you, just be like an American. You get thing, into the but... you know say it ain't so uh, portion of the of the thing. I mean, it's like there's. I mean, he basically he he threw it. He threw the game, and then and then like the fans, like he has to live with it. I mean, it's just it's it's I guess what you do with great literature, oh. but uh, I'm not watching that movie. Forget that. That's just. I mean. Come on, I'm not that 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 movie does not seem. Yeah, it's it's just that's Marley and me in baseball form. Like, what the, who wants to see that? <laughs> All right, Alan, you got the second uh, your second round pick. All right, I'm going to go with Willie Mays Hayes from Major Excellent. League because he plays like Mays and he runs like yes. Hayes, and and like Wesley Snipes is so unbelievably charismatic in that movie. There's a scene where they're doing the montage of how things are finally turning around for the Indians and they do the fake American express card (laughs) ad. And at the very end of it, Willie slides into home in the tuxedo and says the American express card, don't steal home without it. And at that moment, like who the hell is this guy and why is he not the biggest movie star in the world? I mean, I love that movie. I've seen it a million times. But of all the characters, like I feel like he is the one who stands out. And the sequel has a lot of problems, but among them is the fact that, you know, Snipes was now too big a star to do it. And so they had to cast Omar Epps, who is a perfectly fine actor, but he's not Wesley Snipes. The second one does have the it's too high uh, uh, sequence, right? So that which is which is one of uh, my favorite baseball sequences. Um, yeah, Willie Mays Hayes. That's I, I, I don't think anything more needs to be said. And uh, we have also discussed on this podcast it is 
he is Willie Mays Hayes because he hits like Mays and runs like Hayes. That's that is basically people have 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 completely missed the fact that he runs like Bob Hayes. That's the whole reason that he is named Willie Mays Hayes. Everybody has has hit me on that and said, no, he's saying he runs like Mays and he hits like Mays. And it's not. He runs like bullet Bob Hayes. That is why he's Willie Mays Hayes. Yes. All right, Brandon. And also, Major League, Major League Two is also a fantastically funny movie, and I don't like when people knock it down. Like I, I still love it <laughs> completely. I don't know why. It's maybe not as good as the first, but I, it's just only a shade under for me. It well, Euchre's really <laughs> even better in the second one than he is in the first one, so that's part of it. And then again, like I said, there's I think as great as the first one is it does not have a as good a sequence as the it's too high sequence at the beginning of, of major league two, which is so great. The, the Corbin person went like the, everything's going bad and he flips down the poster and goes, it's April too early for a Roger Dorn night. There are so many Dorn moments where he hits the jackets, the home run. I bought him and I will yell that to every GM I have played for in the last 15 years and now work with every time a good thing happened. Like, you bought him. It just there is something to that line that is just it is so good. The amazing thing about that sequel is there's that big joke about how things are so desperate for the team that Dorn has to cover the stadium in ads. <laughs> and like yes. modern stadiums are much tackier than anything that they did in that how movie. How good do we think Roger Dorn was <laughs> in his prime? Uh I don't want to give a player comp because it's probably mean, but I can picture like who it is. I mean, he got, he got paid a lot of money. I mean, he definitely like, I mean, do you think he had like a couple of Jay Bell seasons in there where he was, you know, just kind of, you know, hit some hit with a little power and, 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 you know, played some solid shortstop and. Yeah. Had one of those like three to four year peaks where it was like a good player. Everybody accepted, maybe no all-star games and then just kind of kept playing and was around, <laughs> but felt bigger than that to himself. Like, I love it. I love it. All right. Brandon, you got your second pick. Is it Roger Dorn? Are you choosing Roger Dorn with your second pick? Oh God, I actually should that move that back. Nobody take that. I'm taking that in the third round. Um, <laughs> I Henry Rowan Gardner is my number two, just because uh, of what that movie meant to me. It's like, that movie came out on my birthday. I think when I turned ten, um, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I think it was when I when I turned ten. So we, I remember going to that uh, on my tenth birthday, and that just it just was one of those like perfect kid movies. Um, when I was already obsessed with baseball and there's uh, that idea of like being that young and like having that sort of magic happen to him. And, and it weirdly, it's a weird thing that stuck with me for the rest of my life that every time I'd wake up and my arm was really stiff, I thought, Oh my God, I might throw 103 today. And then it would just turned out that I was actually hurt. And that meant I get, got to miss the next six weeks. But like I, there, I just, there was something so fun about that movie and that like the imagination of it, that, that I just still really love. Wonderful. I'm sorry. Wonderful pick. There's, there's no, there are no bad picks here. That's just, that's just a great pick. Are you saying though, that during your actual major league career, you would feel a stiff arm and still have that hope? Yes. hundred percent. Like there was, there's a good story about Roy, about Roy Oswalt where like he was, when he was pitching in the minor leagues, he uh, was like always hurt. And it was something like his elbow, shoulder hurt. Like, he was going nowhere, and then like one day he was fixing his car or something, and he got like an electric shock. I can't remember the exact story, but I've heard it in different iterations and have never asked him about it. And then it was like from that point on, his arm just felt fine, <laughs> and he just kind of went through. So like, 
uh, it was the same I, I threw with Kerry Wood one off season when he was rehabbing and it was really like, it looked like his career was over and then like it was constantly hurting him every day. And then he woke up one morning, I can't remember what happened. And all of a sudden it just felt fine. And he ended up pitching a couple more years in his career and was good to go. Like, so you always kept like that hope, especially when you were an often your guy like me that you'd wake up one morning and everything had sorted itself out magically. And you just got this like Henry Rowan Gardner arm. So it's not realistic, but we're also pretty dumb see, I, to even do see, what we do. I think it is realistic because you guys know the story, I hope, of Dazzy Vance. I've written that story. Dazzy Vance was kicking around as sort of a, you know, half minor, half major league pitcher. And he was 29 and he was playing at a poker game. And I, I don't remember specifically how he did it, but somehow at this poker game, he like slammed his arm on the table and like completely wrecked his elbow and like was like in like in real pain. I think that's how it went. And and then like a surgeon saw him and did something probably removed like, you know, some some sort of cleaned up his elbow or something. I don't know exactly what they did, but then like he was the best pitcher in baseball for like the next 10 years, like led the league in strikeout eight years in a row. So I'm just saying it's possible. I'm just saying it's possible. That's all I was saying. Like it just in your mind, you're like, well, it might happen. Like it was in a movie and I think those are real. So <laughs> I think it's fair. I think it's fair. All right. With my uh, second round pick, I am going to cha- uh, choose Moonlight Graham uh, from Field of Dreams. Um, I like Moonlight Graham for a lot of reasons. I like the fact that the young Moonlight Graham um, is like eight inches shorter than the old Moonlight Graham. I love that, that, you know, when he, when he first shows up, he like, he, he, he's, he's really small and, and, and then he becomes this stately Burt Lancaster at, at the, at, you know, when he gets older, I think that's great. Uh, I love the fact that he uh, leaves the field uh, after, after getting his one at bat uh, in order to save the girl from uh, a hot dog. Uh, they did not need a doctor. To I mean, it was a hot to just hit her on the back, like you know. But but it's okay. He he came. He you know he didn't know that. He he walked. I always thought about him going back into the corn and saying, "What? They couldn't have just hit her on the back. Like I'd still be playing. I'd just come out here and like just hit her on the back and then make that line about how she'll be doing cartwheels before you know it, and that's it. Like that's and then it's over. My whole career is over. Thanks." Um, but uh, just awesome. Just, you know, could not have been more overacted by Burt Lancaster, which is wonderful. And, uh, and, you know, gets all he wanted was the one, the one at bat. He, he gets the sack fly, which means he actually did not get an at bat in the big leagues. So, so that sucks for him. Um, but all in all, I love my Moonlight Graham. I like it. He's good. Brings a tear to other, the eye. Other than it's a, other than it's a bad movie. <laughs> We're not doing that. We're not doing that, Brandon. We're not. We, we, now, but just like if we can just audio dub in, just bring in like uh, Offerman's rant on this, that would be perfect. It is one of the all-time. We just use that ten-minute clip anytime that movie. It's it's easily the best thing that's ever happened on this oh, entire it, podcast. Like, nothing's like, even close. Like it, it like it's too good no. for this. But we should we should just like re-release right. it as something else. You know, like it goes into the Smithsonian <laughs> of like this is the definitive take on why this movie is unrepentant garbage. But- but, just but stick with Nick him. Nick <laughs> loves the movie. That's the best part. Nick loves the movie. All right, we're having. I'm going to have Nick back on, uh, maybe just to do. That's, we have nothing else. Just maybe just do an entire show about Field of Dreams. I think that seems fair. Mike and Nick and I, Brandon, will. I don't know if we'll invite you or not. 
Yeah, let me see, because that means I'd have to watch it again just to be ready for that, and I don't know that I really... They say, can they, they say, let's have a catch, and that is my least favorite. The way the whole world went, like, got sick of the word moist, like that weird thing that we all went through. Mine is have a catch. It makes me it makes me recall someone says. I'm not gonna lie. No, that's Alan, where where do you stand on Field of Dreams? I I like it. I think it's one of those things where because I saw it, you know, as a teenager, like I'm able to go with my feelings for it at the time, even though all the things that Nick said in his rant and that other people have said about, you know, how it doesn't deal with segregation and how, like, how can you have the James Earl Jones character in there and not deal with that or a lot of yes. the other things. The movie has a lot of problems and yet I'm still easily manipulated by The segregation it. thing is unforgivable. I mean, it just is. It's, it's, it's unforgivable for many reasons, but the most important of those reasons is this is a movie about baseball redemption. How do you not just put Satchel Page out there? I just, I don't understand like what the filmmakers were thinking. Like they brought in like all of these people just have Josh Gibson catch. You don't even need anything else. You don't, it doesn't have to be about the Negro leagues. Just, just, ah, all right. Anyway. Yeah. Like in, <laughs> in league of their own, they do have that one, right. like it's a 32nd moment where the, the African-American woman watching from the stands throws yes. the ball and you realize she could be playing. You just right. need that. And you need and it. It was good that. for league of their own to do that because they were limited. They, I mean, there were no African-Americans who played in the, uh, in the yes. girls baseball league, but this is imaginary. They could have done anything they wanted. They could have had like a Negro leagues team yep. against the, the, the dirty cheating black socks that suddenly got celebrated. Anyway, um, Alan, you have the third pick, third round pick. All right. Well, well, you know, I had league of the uh, league of their own on my mind. So I'm going to go with Dottie Henson. Uh, oh, I was tempted so to go with Jimmy Dugan just because like Tom Hanks has helped to tr- try to stem the tide of sure. this virus. So he's the global hero we need right now, but you can't take, the guy from a movie about women baseball players and Dottie Hinson, even though she does quit on the team in the playoffs, which is a problem. She does two of the coolest things that are done in any baseball movie. One is she catches the ball barehanded when Rosie O'Donnell fires it over at her. And the other is she does the catch when she does the split. And both of those are so cool. And she's such a great player and so well played by uh, Gina Davis that she is my third pick. I think it's a great pick. It's a great pick. Her quitting on the team, however, has not been explored enough. I mean, she just flat walked out and then she just showed back up. I mean, that is, that is, that is some serious negative, you know, that's, you don't want that person on your team. You really don't. That's she was, you've clearly stolen this pick right from me. And it was like, one of the things I loved about her character is that she was a reluctant superstar, which is like, I, I've seen a few of over time where it's like guys who are just blessed with unbelievable talent. They just happen to be the best in the world with this. They're well-paid and it's like, they don't care about their own abilities. It's just like, it's not what speaks to them. It's like, this happens yeah. to be the thing I'm good at. I can't wait to be done with this and get away with this because there's other things for me to do or care about or, or be seen. So like, I always thought that that part of her character, like I, I don't think I understood it when I was younger as I got older, it rang more true to me of like, this is just someone in this time was doing something because it was a way to pass time or to help her sister. And I just, I am thoroughly unimpressed with myself. And that made sense. I love it. I love that about her, but she shouldn't have quit on the team. And then she can't just show up like without even telling anybody, she just suddenly puts on the equipment and he, he finds her behind the mask. That doesn't seem, uh, that doesn't seem like the best way yeah, to handle get, that. Yeah. He needs to get control of this clubhouse. <laughs> like if people can just come and go. <laughs> he really does.
All right, Brandon, your third round pick. Uh, same movie, going to go with, since my pick was stolen, but I, I'm going to go with Doris Murphy. Um, Excellent. I thought her her character, like, it wasn't explored too deeply, but just, like, her un, unbridled passion for, like, winning and playing was, um, <laughs> it just reminded me also of a lot of players, like, the exact opposite of the Dottie Henson, where, like, good enough, good players, but just freakishly obsessed with, like, all they want to do is win, all they want to do is be playing all day, every day, and um, I just thought that was such like a fun component to her character that you didn't see in a lot of other characters in sport movies or at least really laid out. And so I um, like just overly boisterous, annoying, could get on everybody's nerves, but like you could just tell at the, at the root of it, it's like all they wanted to be doing is playing baseball. And I just love that about her character. Doris is a fantastic character. That is so true that she is, she is so great. Like, her dad is so delightful when he shows up. I mean, like you can see where she got her love of the game, you know, from her, from her dad, uh, her scene, her part of the, there's no crying in baseball thing is like very undersold, but, but delightful. Like she, she tries to step in. And then when, when, she, when, uh, when Jimmy Dugan gets thrown out of the game, she's like pointing to where he needs to go. Like that whole thing. Excellent. I think that's a fantastic pick. And it's good because my third my pick was already going to be and now is going to be uh Marla Hooch is definitely my that's <laughs> there was never even a doubt. Uh thought about her in the second round. I'm glad I did it in this round so we can have like a three, you know, all three of them. This the <laughs> This is the, fantastic. The I moment love it. when Marla Hooch uh switch hits for the first time is like to me like one of the great moments in all baseball movies ever. Like just just that scene she's in they're in that gym and she's hitting and then uh the dad goes, "All right, Marla, left-handed." And then everybody on the college team is like, "Oh god." I mean just everything about that is so perfect and tells you how awesome uh, a player Marla Hooch is. And you know, she left the team. Look, she got she got married. She said she'd be back and she came back the next year. So it's not, she didn't quit on the team so much as like, you know, Hey, this is, you can't complain about somebody there. Her life changed. So you, you, you get that. Uh, but what a player, what a hitter, Marla Hooch, what a hitter. So by the way, are we supposed to assume Marla Hooch looked like she was a second baseman, right? I mean, based on where they, they put her. Uh, yes. So, so like, what was she like? Kind of like a Chase Utley like uh, figure, I think. Like a switch hitting Chase Utley is that is that how we would uh, how we would put her her game together? Yeah, I hadn't thought about many comps from Marla Hooch, but <laughs> I, I, not from like a scouting eye. But yeah, I guess that's fair. That'll work. Well, no, Chase would Chase would never leave during that, the season. That is true. So, that no, is, I don't yeah, she could have gotten married in the off season, Joe. That's, that's my what problem. I, yeah, all of it, like, I think a lot of it was, like, a commentary on, like, gender at the time, where, like, husband's home, see you later, like, but, I mean, they're two best players, like, they were really, they were really short-handed. <laughs> they there. were short-handed. By the way, how good do we think Tia, Le- Tia Leone was for Racine? Do we feel like, like, she was, a uh, like, that seems like, I, I guess she was not yet a star then, but really, it's, it's sort of jarring to suddenly see Tia Leone on the, on another team. You're like, well, wait a minute. Like I, I want her character developed. What's going on here. <laughs> <laughs> Got to spend more time with Betty spaghetti is yes. the problem. Yes. All right, Alan, your fourth pick. All right. I'm going off the board for my fourth pick. This is technically a oh, movie no. because it was a short that played oh, in theaters no. before the movie. No bugs, bunny in baseball. That's Bucks. not a movie. <laughs> it's a movie. <laughs> 
It played theatrically. That's where it premiered. That's where people first experienced it. And Bugs Bunny in Baseball Bugs is the greatest filmed baseball player of all time. He plays all nine positions and beats the gas house gorillas literally single-handed. When Mike is on the podcast next week, we are going to spend 25 minutes just discussing this illegal move by you that you continue to do. You are never going to play these games fairly. That's not a movie. Not a movie. All right, Brandon, you get your pick. I'm not even. I'm not even. I'm. I'm not even going to talk about how awesome Bugs Bunny is. Of course, Bugs Bunny's awesome, but that's not a movie. It doesn't count. All right, Brandon, you got the fourth yeah. pick. Every time with him, he's just absolutely the Jeff Lunau of is. this podcast. He's the Jeff he's Lunau. Good. That's exactly oh, right. God. That's the worst thing you could say to me. God oh, almighty! It, it, like this is kind of tangentially related. I'm going to throw this in, upset the whole flow. That's, uh, now I'm going to go with Roger Dorn. Roger Dorn is the funniest baseball character that's ever. Like, there are so many golden moments. Like that he he carries so much of the second movie to me. It's wonderful. Even the first movie when he gets sent in to get hit by the pitch, the the entire way that scene plays out with the hand on the bat. He goes, "It's not my bat." He just has that whiny kid voice and the way he buckles when he gets hit, and then he's waving off the pinch runner when he's at first base, and he's so. He has to pout. I, I can't get enough of everything he does in either movie. It's just like, it it speaks less to being like a real character to me, but it was just so perfectly written and funny and acted by him that, that he's my favorite. Roger Dorn is awesome. I'm sorry. It just is, he's awesome in, in so many ways. Now, have you, did you sense around the game? Did you, did you ever, I mean, cause the, cause the character is certainly, uh, does not seem real and does not seem like it, you know, but did you sense some Roger Dorn characteristics? You don't have to name names, but did you sense some Roger Dorn characteristics around the game? Maybe in like some, some parts, not completely nothing like a like for like, like, Oh yeah, that guy is that. But there's all like certain things where you're like, Oh, it's a little bit like so-and-so or like so-and-so, but, but only snippets <laughs> here and there. All right, Alan, you, what do you think of Roger Dorn? Uh, I like Dorn, but like I, you know, if I'm going major league, I would have to go Serrano ahead of Dorn for sure. And possibly Lou Brown, who is my favorite, I think, baseball manager in any movie. Well, we'll get to your fifth pick. You, you still have an option there, but you really wasted your fourth. So, um, with, with my, with my fourth (laughs) pick, I am going to choose, uh, one of my, definitely one of my favorite all time uh, characters in, in baseball movies. I'm going to choose Billy Bean with my fourth pick um the billy bean character as portrayed by uh by brad pitt is so like first of all has there ever been a character in in any movie that you've seen who spends so much time like we spend so much time with them i guess in the car they're just literally just in the car doing nothing just driving in the car i mean that 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 like half the movie is Billy Bean driving around, and and I guess this is supposed to reflect uh, Billy Bean. But you know he's he's to turn Billy Bean heroic for basically uh, changing uh, the game uh, for for spending more time with with uh, more um, quantitative qualitative analysis to. Uh, to do that, just excellent, just so good. 
I understand that Brad Pitt knows literally nothing about baseball and doesn't care anything about baseball. I don't know if that's true, but that is what I've uh, been told. And uh, and yet he somehow was able to to bring across this uh, this genius of a of a GM. So uh, I am going to go with Brad Pitt. Yeah, I think that's. I think you're right. Like it's a lot of it just him talking on the <laughs> phone, which I think is is being a, a major league GM. So I guess that. It's great. And then, and then just like, okay, he's like, he's in the weight room and then like, I can't watch the game. And then he just gets in his car and drives around for a while. And then we have the whole thing with his daughter, which I, I, you know, doesn't, I, I guess is not real anyway, but, but also is just kind of strange. And then, and then I just love it. I just, I just think he's fantastic. Alan. Yeah. What did you think of Moneyball? Were you a Moneyball fan or no? I like Moneyball. I, you know, I was kind of frustrated having loved the book by some of the fictionalizations. And I know like you have to do that with anything. And often I'm the one defending dramatizations for you've got to make changes here and there. But like the the Jonah Hill character and some of the other things I did not love. But it's definitely it's a fun movie, especially when you consider that, like from a dramatic arc perspective, like that team didn't win the championship. So like, what are they going to do with that? And they, the fact that the movie is able to be as entertaining as it is as a scripted movie is, is really a credit well, to, you know, the people that's hundred percent. Right. Because first of all, if your crescendo for your movie is beating the Kansas city Royals during the regular season, which is how, what the, that is <laughs> awesome. But, I, but honestly, the one thing, cause Brandon and I actually, uh, I think first spent some time together uh, at the Moneyball premiere. I think that was, that was where we first uh, sort of met face to face. And the thing I would say about, about, um, about Moneyball is I, if somebody told me turn this book into a movie, I would not know where to go. I would not know where to begin. I would have no idea. There's no, because the, the book doesn't really, it's not a narrative book. It's, it's a book about, all sorts of different things. And, you know, originally they were going to have Bill James was going to be a cartoon character. Remember that, that was, that was going to be a whole thing. And, and uh, so I don't know. So I think just turning that into a, even a watchable movie is a pretty amazing thing. All right, Alan, you got the fifth pick, fifth round pick. Okay. All right. I got, I got a lot of people still on my board. This is hard. Um, you know, Brandon went with Aaron. Yeah. Are they from movies? Yes. They're from movies as was Bugs Bunny because baseball bugs is a, a movie. movie and Not I will, a movie. I will die on yes. this hill if yeah, I have you to will die on that hill. All right. All right. So Brandon took Henry Rowan Gartner and, and I was kind of always team little big league because I liked that, that uh, Billy Haywood was like an early sabermetric advocate and he argued against the sacrifice bunt. But I'm going to go with Kelly Leak from the Bad News Bears uh, because he, again, in terms of baseball players doing cool things in movies, when he leans over the plate, when they're trying to intentionally walk him and he hits what could be an inside the park home run, that is just cool. And just the fact that, like, he's this total dirtbag who's driving around on a dirt bike. And in the second movie, he drives them in a van from California all the way to Houston to play in the Astrodome. I'm Jackie Earl Haley is awesome and was one of my early sort of screen idols. I'm like, I like that dude. I aspire to that. And, you know, my life has not quite turned out that way, probably for the best, though. I love that that he and Tatum O'Neill play air hockey in order to determine whether or not he's going to go on their, their either go on a date or join the team. Like whoever was in the yeah. writers' room for that one, like that's awesome. They're like, all right, how do we get this guy on the team? <laughs> well, we'll have Tatum O'Neill, but they'll no, they have to play air hockey in order to determine whether or not he goes on a date with her. Like, like what, what? So excellent, excellent pick. He. 
Jackie Earl Haley did not strike me as being large enough to be as dominant a baseball player as he was, but I guess in Little League you can do that. Brandon, you a, you a, you a fan of the uh, of uh, the Bad News Bears? Yeah, um, I don't think I've seen the original version <laughs> in probably a long time. Um, All right, I saw the the newer one, I guess most recently, and I sure. Um, but I still I still like them, and they're just it's an, it's funny enough and enough like. I like kids being crass. Like that's always funny to me and adults being crass around kids. So um, I, I, I always speak about it more from like the Billy Bob Thornton movie than, yeah. than the older one. But I, I, yeah, I still think it's funny. It's not one that I like go back and I like, I have to watch this, but because MLB is so poorly programmed or MLB duck or MLB TV is so poorly programmed. They can't figure out what to do on a Saturday afternoon at any point. They have to show movies from the seventies. Um, I end up seeing it more than I would think. The funny thing is when I was growing up, I think I only saw the original once, whereas PIX Channel 11 in New York was constantly rerunning the Bad News Bears and Breaking Training. Well, I so I had that movie like memorized. I think it's good. I think it's I good. I do every think, line, way, everything that happened. That, you know, the I can NFL tell you that it's Bob Watson doesn't, who like, inadvertently Saturday, starts like, to let them play like, chant you go, you're, like, you're flipping it, channels. Not a good movie at all, but I saw it a million times. You know, the 30 greatest running backs or here's like an in-depth profile of Deion Sanders and then you flip over to MLB network and it's like, yeah, yeah, bad news bears and basic training. I mean, it's just, it doesn't feel like they're, you know, quite, quite on the same level at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't feel like they're trying. And I know that that sounds, I don't even know if, if enough people listen to this to be like ruffled by that, but it drives me. It's one of my biggest complaints with the game of like, that's usually in season. I get, if you don't have anything out of season, like we've talked about all the moves this week, there's only so much we can cover Todd Frazier signing. That's it. But like at a certain point, like you could talk about the game, talk about the history. There's so many classic games to show and so many breakdowns and good documentaries and cool things to explore. Like, I, you could sit down in an hour and come up with a hundred great ideas for content. And they're like, well, <laughs> I think they probably want to see little big league again. That'll do it. Like it just doesn't. No, and it, and I, you know, I know a bunch of those people there and they do amazing work when they, you know, they do it. And it's just, I think it's a, I think it's a commitment. It's a commitment level of whether or not, you know, you feel like that's really what you should, you know, where your future is. I mean, the NFL is just, and of course they've been doing that forever. So going back to the old NFL films days, I mean, they've, they have, they created an entire content company that that essentially has been doing nfl films you know documentaries and everything else for for 50 years and so you know baseball's got a little ways to catch up but i i i do agree with you all right uh so brandon i guess it's time for your last pick uh i'm gonna go with benny the jet rodriguez sure um nice just because he was he's kind of like every little kid baseball player's dream just like he's just obsessed with baseball it's all he wants to do all day every day is blessed with natural ability and it could do it and just has so much fun doing it. And like it is accepting of everybody else around him. Like they're obviously all not as good of them and they, they can hold him back, but like they help him to play baseball every day. And like um, a lot of that, just not that part, but just the idea of like, all I want to do is play baseball today and then tomorrow. And then let's wake up and do it the next day. Like that was a big part of my childhood. So um, I love his it's character. Great character. It's an absolutely great character. That's a great pick, Alan. Great pick, right? Nothing. Yep, just great pick. I have nothing to say against Benny the Jet. Okay. With my fifth pick, I'm going to go with a, a I don't know if it's a tie, but but I'm going to go with 
because there are a couple of fictional characters that I just love. Uh, one of them is the uh, Ty Cobb character that Tommy Lee Jones plays in Cobb. And the other one is the Babe Ruth character that John Goodman plays in The Babe. Um, both of those are so bad. It's, I mean, I am, I am going, I, you know, because I am doing this baseball 100, I'm going back and doing research on, on all of these players. And I'm in the middle of doing Ty Cobb and look, Ty Cobb was a bad guy. I mean, Ty Cobb was definitely, you know, he was, he was a racist and he was a, he was, he was a bully and he was, you know, he hated people in general and all that. But the comically bad person that Tommy Lee Jones plays in that movie is so over the top. And by the way, has so destroyed Ty Cobb's. I mean, of course now Ty Cobb is there's the whole backlash has happened. And now there's been a, a best-selling book about the, who the real Ty Cobb was. And it basically created a whole new Ty Cobb museum in Georgia as people tried to write the story. But it, it truly amazes me. Like, like the Ty Cobb in that movie is like he's as bad like he should be in breaking bad like he's he's that character like he's like you would not be surprised if he runs a meth lab on the side i mean like there's there's nothing beyond his capabilities of being awful and you know i i think that's just you know that's pretty uh it's kind of a crummy thing to do to the guy but but more to the point i mean i guess it just takes you to a level where you're like, well, the only way we can make Ty Cobb interesting is if we turn him into a monster way beyond what he was. And it's the same thing with Babe Ruth. Now, John Goodman takes it to a whole new level because they keep asking John Goodman to throw and hit left-handed, which is obviously way beyond his his capabilities. Um, but do th- you remember the scene in, in The Babe where he hits the ball so high that he hits the home run that he can run like all around the bases? Like if, if you really, first of all, like, why would you like what Babe Ruth's legend is not good enough? Like there's, you can't, you can't find enough like things that Babe Ruth did that are pretty cool. Um, but then when they decided to film that, like what, what were they like, what special effects are going to make you believe that John Goodman could hit a ball high enough that he can run all the way around the bases while the ball was in the air. So it was, uh, they're both um, incredibly bad movies, but uh, but I, I really respect them because they've opened up an entire industry for me to write about these people as real people. So I think that's good. Yeah, and then there was the full frontal male nudity in, in Cobb that really shocked <laughs> us, an 11-year-old where you're like, I'm going to watch a baseball movie, and then this guy's a mean racist, and then it's like... Oh, they can also show this in movies. Like that was a seminal moment of like, wow, that guy—he's a murdering, murdering, mean, racist, drunken, terrible. I mean, like, like just it stopped being. And and Tommy Lee Jones plays it to a hilt because there's a moment in Cobb. One of the one of the sort of like redeeming qualities of Cobb was that one day Cobb was at a dinner and and somebody asked him. Um, Uh, like what do you think you would hit against pitchers today and he said about 285 and they said oh my god you know do you think pitchers are that much better he goes well you have to remember i'm 65 years old and it was a joke and he said it as a joke but in the movie they have that moment only because they can't say a single good thing about Cobb, he basically goes, yeah, I remember I'm 65 years old, you son of a bitch. I mean, he had like that to be like screaming about it. I mean, like, like <laughs> just, oh, that movie. Wow. Wow. Wait, wait, wait. Just, Joe, just back me up here a second. So me taking a, a thing that was released Not in a movie. movie theaters Not a movie. 
is is Not cheating and you taking two different people <laughs> with your last pick and going with like real actual baseball people with your last two picks three people in two picks that's not First cheating all, not even close we said baseball movie characters those are all baseball movie characters didn't say they have to be fictional and nor should they be fictional secondly it's a movie I picked wait, wait, no, no, but, if, but if, 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 tie, if ties are allowed, no. then, you I, know, for my first pick, I'm going to take Crash Davis <laughs> and Frank Drebin I, and Finn from Everybody I Wants. I threw um, the second in because I knew it was the last pick. If you only want me to have Cobb, that's fine. If you would prefer me not to have the John Goodman Babe Ruth, that's fine. I'm just throwing it in for a little. I, I just feel like I'm, I'm piled on left and right on this Alan, thing. it's not a movie. I'm unfairly impugned. We're going to put this out to the to the few people who would dare. Oh, we, we totally to are. We totally and are. You are not going to win, just like you have never won when you're in your cheating attempts in the past. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> all right, time. I, I would like some credit for not picking Yankees first baseman Ricky Davis, who was played by Frank Thomas. <laughs> that's, um, that's actually impressive. I, guess I would like some some credit for that. <laughs> that so. is, you you get a full amount of credit for that. Thank you. It's one last meaningless thing. Sports and we draft things we know, like how beaches are terrible places to go. No hot fruit for Michael, nor Diet Coke for Joe. The podcast woe. It's one last woe. All right, you know what? Let's. Are we gonna? Do we do one last meaningless thing, or or has this time that we're in prevented us from doing meaningless things? Um. Well, I mean, that's really no. That's really all the next like eight weeks are is noticing <laughs> meaningless things. I think. Yeah. All right. Uh, and, you know, walks around the block are nice. That is true. I, that's right. that's the best should, I got right should, now. Well, there you go. If you want, Alan, do you want that to be your one last meaningless thing that you like walks around the block? Sure, yeah. I, I used to live in a house on a steep hill, and now we live on flat ground. We moved a couple of years ago, and so for this particular quarantine where I can't do anything but be in the house or walk around the neighborhood, this is much better. So, you know, living on flat ground, thumbs up. I like it. All right, so walking walking, and <laughs> living on flat ground. All right, there's that's a that is perfectly meaningless. Brandon, do you have one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing? Uh, that the, the advice of don't put your hands near your face is, is the stupidest, <laughs> hardest, most impossible. I, there's nothing, I don't know. There's anything else you could tell all of humanity to stop doing. That would be like, I have had my finger in every orifice on my face, no less than 15 times just during this as I'm consciously making an effort to not do so. I don't even, I, I just noticed I was like, I'm just biting a finger, which isn't a thing that I do, but somehow I'm doing that right now. It's it's a very ridiculous suggestion, and I hope that's not the end of our humanity. Yeah, I was going to say if if I, I if if indeed we are coming down to uh, don't touch your face or die, um, death. I mean, I just don't know what else to say. I, I don't I don't know exactly how to prevent touching my face. So I'm I am washing my hands though at at uh, at uh, at the full recommended amount that is my one man last meaningless thing which is everybody keeps coming up with new ways to time yourself uh to washing your hands which i think is actually quite delightful uh there there are some very fun 
uh, videos on Twitter uh, where like Mariah Carey is watching her hands with her kids uh, to a Mariah Carey song, which I think is great. And, and uh, I think there are a few others like that. Uh, I am washing my hands to the Jeopardy theme, which is actually 30 seconds long, the full Jeopardy theme. So I kind of truncate it a little bit in the middle, but I've got a whole thing where like, you know, at the end where they have that like bump, 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 bump. And then that boom, boom. Like I, I kind of get my hands out there uh, for, for the little, for the big finish. I've got a whole thing worked out uh, and we're three days in and I'm not yet sick of it. I know I will be sick of it uh, probably by the time anybody hears this. Uh, but, but I do think uh, coming up with a cool, fun little way to time yourself uh, washing your hands. I'm all for it. I think it's, I think it's a good thing. Is this a change for you guys? Are you guys naturally germaphobes or scared of things or? I'm told it's a total change for me. Like I'm, I'm in a completely different place. I've never been a germaphobe at all. Like I've never cared. I like to the point where like my wife is a little bit of a germaphobe and she, she always walked around with like the hand sanitizer and I would always be like, no, I don't. No, thank you. Thank no, thank you. Yeah. And uh, but she would, you know, insist the kids doing it, which is much smarter. I'm not. I'm the, I'm the dumb one here. But but yes, this has turned me into a different thing. Alan, um, I definitely am washing my hands a lot more and for a lot longer. I was usually just sort of like splash yeah. them on, get a little yeah. soap on, get yeah. out of there. Now I'm like really thinking about it. Uh, to me, the strange thing is just, especially right now today on the first real official day of things because the kids aren't at right. school, is I'm used to being at home a lot. I work from home most days. I go into the office a couple times a month. So it's it's not that big of an adjustment, but now everyone else is here with me. Uh, and so we're having to sort of maneuver around that. So even as we've been doing the podcast, I'm just hearing them out there, you know, <laughs> doing different things and say doing their homework and not wanting to do their homework or fighting over the iPad or whatever. Uh, and you know, it's, we're, we're all going to be in close quarters for a bit, but it's what we have to do. So, uh, and I think everybody understands that. So I guess that's is this okay. a total change for you, Brandon. Is this completely different? I'm, I'm like you No, like I was not, not a germaphobe. I didn't care. Like, obviously I have my thing with not sharing food, but that's not because of germs. Like I would, <laughs> if I wanted the gum out of your mouth, I would eat that and, and be fine with it. Like when I go in public, like if there's a public restroom, I would rather use the toilet that was just vacated because that seat will be warm. Like I just don't care about germs. <laughs> that's your one but, last meaningless thing right there. <laughs> yeah, that's the last meaningless thing. But that, but now I find like I had to go to the store yesterday for about four minutes and walking through and it's like hands at my side and I feel like my shoulder swaying and I, I, I was like, oh, this is this has definitely changed me. Now I feel like I have to wash my hands all the time and. Um, this is a, this is a big first it's a big for me. one. I mean, look, I mean, it's the first time I've ever thought about like, six feet. How about, you know, cause that's what they say, right? Stay six feet away from anybody, uh, in public and, and how far six feet is. And, you know, thinking about that and six feet is like, like, I don't know what on the PGA tour is their percentage of making a six foot putt, but it's not a hundred percent. I mean, it's like in the 60% no. or 70% probably. Right. I think so. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. that's a legit mm -hmm. distance away from people. So yeah, this is totally put, I don't know. I don't know how you come back from this. I, like, I don't know that I'll ever be the non germaphobe that we're all like have to be. I, I don't know what it's going to be like at the end yeah. of all of this, but uh, yeah, I, I will, I will say one thing that is, Again, none of this is good, but one of the things that I'm taking out of this is 
I'm always terrible at ha- knowing when to shake hands, when to hug, when yeah. to do like the back yep. tap, you mm-hmm. know, all of these things. And when it's mixed gender. And so now all you have to do, everyone's doing the elbow tap or they're not doing anything at all. That makes me feel much better because I no longer am a spaz when I'm seeing someone for the first time. I think that is, that is, we could, we could really do a whole second podcast on that because Honestly, I am the worst hugger. I don't like, I'm not a hugging person in general. So when somebody comes in for the hug, I'm very awkward about that. And it makes me feel terrible afterward. Like I always think like, oh God, that person is so nice. And they just, all they want to do is like, you know, present how much affection they have for me. And, and I just essentially just like, was like stiff as a board and just like backed away. I mean, like, you know, and I don't mean to be that way. So yes, if, if this, if this takes us to a society where, where we all can just sort of elbow tap and feel good about each other. Um, yeah. I'd probably be better in that society. That's, that's a great point. <laughs> Is it though? It's not a great point. Nothing we've said on this podcast. Well, when you're the height that everybody's face lines up with your genitals and they all want to hug, that's not that really is the, true. This, this world wasn't made for me to hug people. It's like yeah, very me neither. awkward doing it. I'm normal size and I can't hug people. All right. Well, Brandon, uh, Alan, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And, and hopefully you'll be back on soon so we can discuss nothing because we have nothing actually going on. <laughs> Sounds great. Anytime, Thanks. man. See you, Joe.